Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome in. Stoppage time. Wednesday, March 23rd. We've got a crazy game to recap against Montreal that had so many twists and turns. I'm still dizzy. We got a signing today to talk about. Noah Cobb uh, will be with the MLS side next year. He signed a pro deal with Atlanta United 2 for the rest of this season. He'll be in action tonight for Atlanta United 2 against the Tampa Bay Rowdies. We got national team stuff to talk about. Just the U.S. with three big games coming up, but also Miles Robinson part of that. Uh, we've got Ronald Hernandez and Joseph Martinez away with Venezuela's national team. They're eliminated from World Cup qualifying, but they've got two games, and both players should factor into that. And then Tyler Wolf was added, along with Caleb Wiley, to the USU 20 team for a camp down in Argentina. So no game this weekend, Mike, but it's a really busy show. It is. Uh, not to mention uh, Open Cup fever. And uh, all of that, that got started last night. So, uh, yeah, a lot to get to over the next hour. And I, I think kind of the cool thing about having an early international break such as this for Atlanta United is you've played four matches, okay? It, it's enough of a sample size where you can start to really review some things and um, and evaluate. Um, and And – it's nice that we kind of have a, a little natural stopping point where we don't have to focus like strictly on DC, which is coming up next week. So I, I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Atlanta United and, and where they are through their first four matches today. You're right. Saturday was wild. Um, you know, going back and watching that match as it evolved live, I think especially, you know, in those dying moments of the first half, I, you know, I didn't feel very good about Atlanta United and their performance. Going back oh, and good. watching again, I feel better about the totality of the day, yeah. not just the moments where Atlanta United scored. Um, the second half didn't feel like it to me live, but going back and watching – the second half was a really, really good performance by Atlanta United. Uh, it really was. The first half was a good first 15 minutes, followed by a little bit of a stalemate, followed by conceding and not reacting very well to it. But I think there's been this narrative out there that Atlanta United, you know, they, they, they've had three kind of not-so-great performances in a row, and I, I'm going to push back on that. I, no. I think in Colorado again – Colorado was better in their moments, but the scoreline was maybe a little bit unjust. I think now what we've seen, especially from Charlotte since the Atlanta match, that's starting to look like a, a really good quality result for Atlanta United. The 2-1 win over Charlotte, which, yeah, you have to score at the death to get the win, but Charlotte's good. Charlotte's better than I think a lot of people gave them credit for. And look, I, I mean, you didn't damage yourself too badly on Saturday, despite having some moments where you needed to play better. So I think when it's all said and done, considering how many 
man games you have lost due to injury and other things in the first four matches, first four weeks of the year, the fact that you're only three points out of first is a really, really good position to be in for Atlanta United. Yeah, I mean, let's do the math a little bit here. Um, we'll, we'll kind of talk in generalities. We'll talk about some of the individuals as well. But four games, that's 360 minutes, if uh, I can do my math correctly, that have been played. So individuals have 360 minutes of play that they could have provided. Um, you have two players who have played all 360, Andrew Gutman, Brad Gazan. Uh, Mateus Hosechi has played 348. Joseph Martinez has played 344. He has two goals and two assists to show for that. That's pretty productive. Uh, Ronald Hernandez is next in minutes with 307. That's everybody who's played over 300. Now, Marcelino Moreno, a very important factor in this team. You would think he has played in all four games. He's played 141 minutes, the equivalent of 1.6 games out of four. Luis Araujo has played 25 minutes, the equivalent of 0.3 games out of four. Tiago Almada has played 80 minutes, the equivalent of 0.9 games out of four. Those three names, having not played the equivalent of two games of the four that you've played, to be where you are, I'll take that. Yeah. I will 100% take that. There's also room for improvement. And it's it's really down to individual performances in my mind that have to improve. There, the when you look back at the goals that have been conceded, um, you've got a couple off of corners, you've got a penalty that was conceded by Miles Robinson, you've got one that was conceded eleven v ten, you've got Alan Franco who got beat in a one v one situation with Diego Rubio. I'm going to give Rubio a lot of credit there, um, but it's a one v one. You expect to win. A lot of individual breakdowns. Ronald Hernandez on goal number one against Montreal. I like, and I was talking to somebody about this this week, I like the way Atlanta United is playing as a team. I like where they are headed. I like the style. I like the personality they're showing on the field. I love the fight. That part is great. They have a lot of character in the group. I like that. It's going to serve them well. I like stylistically and philosophically where they are and where they're going. Mm -hmm. They're not in any shape, measure, anything, a completed form yet. And they won't be until you have a match that starts with Moreno, Joseph, Araujo, and Almada. That's what this team is built around. Defense is always something they prioritize from day one. You have a great goalkeeper and leader in Brad Kazan. But this team is built to showcase that front four that Atlanta United invested in, recruited, and that's the group that will set you apart from the rest of the league. And they haven't played one minute together this season. They have had they haven't had one training session together. There wasn't any overlap of all of them training together on the pitch. Moreno was out during preseason the time Almada was in Guadalajara. That is what will carry this team to the heights that they're trying to get to. They will be a very good team if those four never play together. They will be a very good team because you have a good roster. You have depth. You're seeing that character, that fight. But to be what Atlanta United's trying to be this year, which isn't just to be a good team, just to be a playoff team, just to make up the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. They're here to win things. They're here to win trophies that front four will carry them and separate them. And you've got to get them together until we can really evaluate it. Um, I think the things that I've kind of noticed from a little bit of effect too, the, the press hasn't been quite as effective without our Uju. Um, it's been pretty stout in the, the attacking third. And we've seen those turnovers, Tyler Wolf, Mateus Osetsu creating the first goal against Montreal uh, creating the first goal of the season with Tyler Wolf with pressure, picking up a second ball. You're seeing the effects of it. It'll be better with Araujo. It'll be better when you get that front four together and they understand where they're fitting. That is a big change from previous years where the team would sit back a little bit more. The counter to that is something that, to a degree, you have to live with, but also it's something that individuals are going to have to continue to to play well through you're going to really push the envelope 
in taking risks. This is going to be a risk-taking team defensively. They're going to play a very high line. The center backs have freedom to step up very high into the attacking half. When that press doesn't work, you're going to get caught at times. That doesn't mean you concede a goal every time, but you're going to get caught at times because you're bet. What your decision, when you're creating your flow chart of how, we're, how you're going to play, what Gonzalo Pineda has bet on, and I think it's the right bet, is that you're going to create more turnovers and create more goals because of being aggressive with pressure and playing a high line than you're going to concede because of mistakes in it. But you can't overreact to individual mistakes. Players will, if, if they keep making individual mistakes, players will get replaced. Like mm-hmm. you have the depth to do that. And that's just going to be the trade off. Is it going to lead to some heartburn? Yeah. Is it going to lead to some shattered vocal cords for us? Yes, it will. But it's going to be effective when that style of play that you've built gets all the pieces in it. I like where the team's headed. I really do. But it's hard to judge it yet because we haven't seen that group together yet. So how do you feel the team reacted to an individual mistake by Ronald Hernandez on the first Montreal goal Saturday? Horribly. And, And that was shocking. And that was very disappointing because that mistake and it there's two mistakes in it on on Ronald Hernandez's part. Uh, It's a risky ball played across to him. It's not a horrible ball played across to him. He has to recognize the risk and he has to either win the ball. Um, I can't remember who was pressuring him initially. He's got to win that ball. I think it was Mihailovic. He's got to win that ball or he's got to commit a foul. Because you can't allow the break. Okay? Mm-hmm. You you half win it. You knock it forward, but you didn't decisively win it. Alan Franco then is kind of in the same boat, except he's not going to be in a great chance to win it because he's coming back. He's got to commit the foul there. I think he tried, actually, and he couldn't get the foul taken care of. But in that, that's where Hernandez made the second mistake. He didn't recover. He didn't drop. Because you you have to recognize there, okay, I want a risky ball. Ball's in front of me. I see what I see. I got the player that I just battled with. I got the player who might win this ball. And you got to know there's another guy to your left. He's got to drop. And and that's where this team won't drop very often. That's the time you got to drop. You got to make the individual decision. Mateus Osetsu has to drop there too. It's not purely on Hernandez. Because Osetsu got caught kind of ball watching near midfield as well. But those mistakes, you give up the goal. Fine. Again, you're going to make mistakes. But the second goal, you got caught flat. Osvaldo Alonso got beat on a run, which we don't expect to see, but it happened. He got he he got beat for pace by Ismail Kone, who got called into the Canadian national team, right. by the way, after a great performance. Right. He got beat for pace, and he reacted slowly to it. Um, and it's just a pretty good play on the left to create the cross where Hernandez is beat 1v1. But I don't expect to see Alonso beat very often in that situation. And then Miles Robinson gets beat in a one v one, and it's it's there's not a lot in it on the foul. Like I mean, it's it's a light foul, but a foul is a foul, and you don't have measures of it that prevent penalties. It's a push. Gone made the most of it. He goes down. It's a penalty, and you concede. But we don't really see Osvaldo Alonso get beat for for reading the game very much, and we don't see Miles Robinson beat on a nutmeg very much. And those two things happened after the goal, and it was just flat. And it was almost like they were shocked after conceding the way they did on the first one. It led to two more, and it just dug such a huge hole. That can't happen. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't want to say the Montreal, the first Montreal goal came against the run of play because it felt like they were. I would say that it did. You you really feel? Yeah, I mean, the first 27, like, we can find waves in it where where yeah. Montreal had good moments. But up until that corner, I think it was pretty strongly Atlanta's game. They were up 1-0. They had the better of the play. Montreal was getting better. They were growing into it a little bit. They're a good team, and they're a good possession team. So they could deal with the pressure pretty well. I wanted to pull up the... Yeah, I mean, actually looking at it, um, SofaScore has a, a pretty good thing they call attack momentum. It, it gives you waves of who's in control of the game. And Montreal only had a couple little blips 
up until they got on the board. And then it was the strongest moments in, of, in terms of control were the rest of the first half that Montreal had. And in Atlanta, their strongest was actually early in the second half, which I didn't necessarily feel in the game. I felt like it took Atlanta a while. I think you you said watching it back, you felt better about the second half watching it back on yeah. its entirety. Um, first 27? Yeah, I, I, I mean, against the run of play, not in some huge dramatic way, like they were getting completely run out of the building. But I think Atlanta was clearly the better team up until the first goal that Montreal scored. Hey, by the way, Ed, Ed just Sheath's question popped up yeah. on the Twitch pitch. And just while we're on yeah, the Yeah, weave the questions of, in wherever we're at. You, you yeah, know. but just on the topic of the Montreal match, um, you know, Sheath brings up the, the Miles penalty. They felt the push was actually outside the area, inside the areas where Kone tried to uh, basically sense the contact and go down. Now, I help me out on this because I've seen this discussed actually in a couple different places. And someone, I think, had suggested that the the uh, the boundaries of the penalty area extend behind the end line to infinity, basically, that because the ball was still in play and Miles committed an infraction that prevented him from getting to the ball, it's a penalty even if it's behind the end line. Can you shed any light on the law there? That one's tricky, and I would have to actually read up the specific language. Um I I think that essentially is correct that if you're within the the lines on the the sides of the penalty area but you're beyond the end line you're in penalty jeopardy in that mm-hmm. point. I, I could be wrong on that referees if I'm wrong don't hate me. Um I think that's correct. I I think it's a little bit of a reach because I've seen people compare it to the Marcelino Moreno contact in the first half where in my mind that was purely outside the 18 and then he went down inside the 18 and I don't think he was looking for a penalty I think he lost his balance right but that's in the 18 after the contact was outside I think this and I'm actually going to pull it up so I can kind of look at it as we're talking about it this I feel like the contact was continuing into the 18 and that's usually what referees will go by if it's a push and there's nothing else and the player's outside the 18 and falls in the 18, it's usually a free kick on the outside. If it's a push or a grab and it continues into the 18, that's usually where a penalty would be given. That's the way I saw the Robinson one. It was up against the end line, which would still make it a penalty. Right. I'm just thinking of the, um, boy, there was a a Carlos Vela penalty against Atlanta United a couple years ago. Where (laughs) I don't think it was, I don't think it was adjudicated correctly, but the contact (laughs) happened outside the 18 and he fell into it and somehow was a penalty. That was the top of the 18, not the back of the 18 at the end line. I think the discussion on that one, if I remember correctly, and this will come up sometimes, is was it kind of over the line? Like a lot of times we talk about, you know, a foul, like did it happen inside the 18? But if you're over the line, then it can still be it. So I'm looking at it now. Kone puts it through Robinson's legs. Um, Robinson tries to shield him off. And of course, it's going to freeze right in the worst spot for me to tell what's going on. He's got his arm out as Kone is kind of leaning over the 18. I, I really feel like you would be hard pressed to not give the penalty there the way the positioning is i think you're you're deciding at that point is it a foul and a penalty or is it not enough for a foul i don't think you could go no penalty in that what gets him i I think what ultimately decides it if you're the referee and i'm trying to spot where he is too Robinson gets the arm extended, and I'll tell you what sells it completely and, and makes it a no-brainer. Penso's watching the whole thing. He's got a clear view from the top of the 18 looking at that side. The The arm is one thing. You can say, all right, that's not enough for the push, whatever, that's fine. He grabs him with his left arm. I didn't notice this until just now. He grabs him with his left hand at kind of the waist area. Little bit of the shirt grab, not much. But he definitely tries to impede him, not just with the right arm as he's turning, but a little grab with the left. 
two combined with Penso getting a clean look, it's a penalty. I, yeah. I, it's not a big penalty, but it's a penalty. They all count the same. I think it was a, a, the correct call. I thought Penso was really good in this game. I, I, I do, too. We said it on the broadcast. I thought it was. the broadcast. It felt like he got every major call correct. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, I, I think, you know, you could go frame by frame and really parse this call. Yeah, you're trying to find something watch, that's not there. Yeah. The thing is, if you watch it in real time, did it feel like a penalty? It did. In my opinion, right yes, unquestionably. So, you know, VAR could come in if there's a clear and obvious error, but not. I think the common sense interpretation that Penso made was correct. The bigger now, issue is... Now, here's here's a question, though, that would be yeah. interesting, and, and this is where I do think the game will eventually start to get called a little differently. We've seen these decisions in the NFL get called a little differently over time. If that is not called a penalty, and the VAR looks at it to see if there is a penalty. I think we're having a very different discussion at that point. Yeah. I still think it could be a penalty. I, I I still think it should be a penalty. I'll, I'll be clear in that. I think it should be. But that's a harder move than going from penalty to no penalty here. It's harder to get from no penalty to penalty on review. But I still think it's a penalty. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, and I, I think the, the bigger concern is just seeing Miles get beat like that by Kone. I talked about it on SDH this week, and I, I think we'll get a, a sense of it if he's in the lineup tomorrow at the Azteca. Um, and he'll definitely play over these three games for the U.S. Miles Robinson is going into the three biggest games of his life. Mm -hmm. No question. Um, he wasn't you know, a regular part of the team in 2018. He had big games in 2019, but not like these where World Cup qualification is on the line. And a lot of people are looking at him as a big reason, either yay or nay. I wonder if it's been hard for him looking ahead. And, and it's not, I'm not, it's not a negative. That's not, you know, he, he, you have to know that's coming. You have to be thinking about that. You want to be in your best form. But is it a little bit of a difficulty in preparing for what's to come, a situation he's never been in? We'll get a better sense when he puts that national team shirt on. I hope he goes, I hope he plays his lights out. I hope he's outstanding. And I hope he comes back maybe with that piano off his back. Yeah. Because that's a lot of pressure he's dealing with right now. It's a great point. And mentally, I can't put myself in those shoes. I've, I've never obviously been in that position before yeah, but so. when we have a big project or we've got a big game and and you know we're we're looking ahead and we, we're preparing and we've got our other duties that we're doing during the day it's hard to put that stuff out of your head it, it is and this is to a scale that you know very few people can can truly relate to so i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt on that um he hasn't been as good as we expect him to be early this season four games and i really think that this window could be a, a, a distraction for him and it would be completely understandable if it is yeah all right let's jump around a little bit because uh a couple different subjects being batted about in the twitch pitch yeah. and keep sending us your questions and comments and abby to answer your question facebook or twitch it doesn't matter it all shows up in the same feed to us doesn't so. matter it's all good um one thing to keep in mind and i've had this question from people over the the time we've been doing both it will live on Facebook afterwards. If you're watching on Twitch and the next week you're like, oh, why isn't it up on Twitch? I couldn't watch live. It doesn't stay live. It doesn't get saved on Twitch. It gets saved on Facebook and in the podcast edition will go out. You can always find these at facebook.com slash 929again. There we go. All right. So Abby wants our thoughts on the Noah Cobb signing. Love Ricky it. Ricardo wants to know where this puts Atlanta United as far as number of homegrowns that they're up to now. Honestly, I don't know. Um, that's something that, that some teams and people get really hung up on. I think Dallas is in the 30s, for example, but not all 30 of them worked out and not all 30 of them are still there. And not all 30 of them really played for the first team. I, the number doesn't matter to me. I love the signing because of what we've seen from Noah Cobb. And he broke into the twos team last year the name that I'd heard about in the Academy, but not somebody I'd really seen because he was 15 when he made his twos debut last year, 15 years old, made his debut. If I remember right at Louisville, 
one of the toughest places to play in USL Championship. Ended up playing 11 games, starting nine. He was getting significant time down the stretch last year in USL Championship. That's incredible. First team this preseason. Played in the holding midfield some. Made trip to Mexico. Played some important minutes in preseason with a with you know some first choice guys. Uh, what I'll always remember, and I kind of thought this was coming, but I didn't know it would come this fast, was after the the first game of preseason when they played the Georgia Storm and Noah Cobb. Uh, you couldn't have picked out that he was the 16 year old on the field. He was that good and that composed. Asking Gonzalo Pineda about it afterwards, and his eyes just lit up. He, he loves bringing these guys through and seeing their development. And Cobb is a Gonzalo Pineda kind of player. He, he's versatile. He's got incredible composure on the ball. He is not afraid in possession at all. Um, we saw a mistake from him in the last match against the New York Red Bulls, too. That's part of the, the, the trade. That's part of the risk of playing out of the back. He knows that. He's not going to be hesitant to make passes tonight against the Tampa Bay Rowdies out of the back. And at 16, he's going to be a guy who probably plays about 30 games in USL Championship this year. And then you're looking at him coming into first team camp again next year on an MLS deal. And, you know, we don't know what's next with Miles Robinson. There could always be an offer for Alan Franco, whose name was bandied around in South America last year. George Campbell is ready. Noah Cobb's not far behind. He's really not far behind. His rise is just, it's a credit to this academy coaching staff. It's a credit to Noah and the work he's put in. Um, all the coaches he's had throughout his life to get here, but. What this academy's doing, what Jack Collison's doing with the twos, it's another one, and there's more coming. So he played tonight? Yeah, for sure. Um, I again, I think he's a regular for the twos all year long. Um, I, you know, it's it's a it's a one to watch because you're playing a team in Tampa Bay who is diff- very different than the Red Bulls. <laughs> we know the Red Bulls style of play, and we know that pressure is going to make it difficult for you. Tampa Bay is going to sit off a little bit more. It's going to be more of a physical challenge. For Noah Cobb and I think seeing him in preseason you didn't see him really shy away from anything or back away from anything he, he's young but he doesn't play like he's young and, and that's a credit to I think the fearlessness that he's got so yeah I think he plays and he's gonna be dealing with uh, potentially a forward in Sebastian Quinzati who is not quite twice his age but pretty close uh, airborne DJ says, I'm reserving any judgment on what this team is or can do until we have three or four matches under our belt with the full first choice 11. Yeah, and that's completely fair. Um, I think trend-wise, kind of some of the things I'm seeing, they're they're producing chances. Uh, Montreal made it difficult. We talked about it coming into it. Montreal's a really organized defensive team, even with the goals they'd given up this season in MLS, where they did not play well early in MLS. And we'll see how they respond to blowing a 3-1 lead. Um, they weren't giving up a lot of chances. They were getting punished for the chances they were giving up, but not giving a lo- up a lot of shot creating actions. So far, Atlanta, and this is something I track, and you can track it at, at football reference, fbref.com. Go into MLS. They dig in deep into the uh the Opta stats and pull things out. For the season, Atlanta United is in the top half, um, probably the top of the middle third in shot creating actions per 90. At 19, that's not chances created. It's it's shot creating actions that can include passes, that can include uh, dead ball passes or passes in live action. It can include dribbles. It can include rebounds. That a shot created another shot creating action, uh, getting fouled, and in defensive actions that create shots. And that's something that we'll see Atlanta do. And they've got four of those this year among the league leaders. The league leaders, LA Galaxy, 31.25 in shot-creating actions. Atlanta's at 19. Okay, let's flip it and go to what they're allowing because that's the other side of the coin here that I think is very important. Atlanta's allowing 20.25. That's picked up these last two. That's a little concerning. Mm -hmm. And that's not being affected directly by the absences up front. But when we go a layer down, it kind of is. Because Araujo not being in that front four, the press is not as effective. Luis Araujo is, is in my opinion, elite in his defensive work as a as a winger, as a forward, wherever you want to call it. Tyler Wolf, I think, is pretty close to elite in that. 
Tyler played as a central midfielder in his last game. He's not pressing in the same way. This last game, they gave up more shot-creating actions. The Charlotte game, they gave up more shot-creating actions than you would have assumed. That had been the other way around before, where you were creating more than you were conceding. That jumps out to me as a concern, but I think it will improve when you get the front four together and you get Moreno and Araujo pressing up high. I, I like that setup. I think Almada will be good in those moments, too. Um, other things you look for, I mean, you're looking for chances created. They've generally been pretty good. You look for how you're conceding goals. We talked about it, a lot of individual mistakes. Um, this is a team that I think will be better dribbling when you get that front group all together because you have a couple elite dribblers that you haven't seen on the field very much. And when teams do sit back and compress space like Colorado did and like Montreal did at times, you break it down on the dribble. That's what will be the kryptonite to it. And you haven't had your full weaponry in that. So there's some trends. There's some things. I think the press has been good. It's created some opportunities. It'll get better. That will limit the chances being created because teams won't be able to build up out of the back as effectively. And you'll create more chances when you get everybody back. So you see where things are. I've got a few things that I'm looking at to see improve. But the biggest thing will be fielding your front four that you signed. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. ATL uh, Pilgrim says that the whole team seems to be buying into the Pineda way and that it doesn't really feel like it had been that way with some previous coaches dating back, maybe even to Frank DeBoer. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of that is based off uh, articles after the fact with Frank DeBoer and a lot of speculation during that time as well. Um, honestly, they might not have liked it, but when you look at the beginning of that 2019 season that, that created a lot of gripes, they bought into what Frank DeBoer wanted them to do. They were dropping deeper because there was a concern about how they would defend with a high line because they didn't have a lot of pace on the back line. Um, then they went on a run with hardly conceding goals and winning games, not scoring a lot. And again, this is the trade-off. <laughs> like if you're going to get numbers forward, you're probably going to create more chances and score more goals. You're probably going to concede more too if you get more numbers forward. If you drop behind the ball, you're not going to be able to get forward as well and as fast, but you're not going to concede as much. I think what Pineda wants is what a lot of pundits, fans, media have said they want, which is a very aggressive team. You can't, and, and I, I chose those words very carefully, because you can't say, I want 4-3 wins. 
you can't guarantee four goals. You can't guarantee you won't concede three. You can't guarantee anything about goals. You can create chances. You can try to create chances. You can put your team in position to create chances. But you can't guarantee goals. No team can. PSG should be scoring 10 goals a game, right? With Neymar and Messi and and and, and Mbappe. I mean, it, it should be no question. They're not <laughs> because it's hard. Um, you've got to be, you got to make a decision on how proactive, how reactive you want to be. You got to make a decision in how risky you want to be in committing numbers forward. And when people say they want, they would rather win 4-3 than 1-0. What they're saying, maybe they don't know they're saying this, but what they're saying is they want a team that is very aggressive. They want a team that will commit numbers forward. They want a team that will play on the edge. And they'll take the risk of conceding to gain more of an advantage to create more opportunities to score goals. And that's what Gonzalo Pineda's given you. Okay. Ronaldo Cisneros questions. Okay. Uh, John Nason wants to know how's the roster compliant, and it, it, uh, it is <laughs> like I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not in the office. It is. Um, I know you picked up a couple of green cards with with Sosa and Ibarra. I think you might have been okay on international slots anyway. I don't know. I, I think there in, and and John's not the only person who I, I think had an impression that. Ronaldo Cisneros would be a very expensive player and you're worrying about the cap. He's predominantly played in the second division in Mexico. So, mm-hmm. and it's a loan to where you're, you might not be taking on all of the salary anyway. I think cap hit is very small. If there is one, he might be on the supplemental roster and obviously you, you rostered him. So it's compliant. Um, my guess is that you had international slots and I would assume it had to do with Sosa and Ibarra picking up green cards, but it's compliant because they announced it. That's all I got. <laughs> well, but then Abby asks, is there a chance that Cisneros may play a little bit for the twos? I doubt it um, because that would defeat the purpose. I, I think part of the purpose, obviously you want, you know, another player that you think can help you with the first team. That's, that's number one here. But number two is I think this makes it even easier for Jackson Conway to focus on the twos. And I know, and Jackson said it coming in, that he wanted to play well enough to make the team think they don't need to go get anybody. He hasn't. And that's okay. That, that, that's, he's a young player. But you're, you're going to have to make a decision probably at the end of this year on what's next for Jackson. Is he a long-term fixture with Atlanta United? Is he not? He's not going to do that by being on the bench sometimes with the first team and not playing games. He's He's got to play 30 games with the twos. He's got to continue, and he's been good so far this season. He's done very well in terms of his defensive work as a forward. He's got to continue making more runs off the ball, and he's got to produce. If he gets you I, – I said 15 coming in. It depends, obviously, on how many games he plays. But if he gets you double-digit goals – and does all the other things with Atlanta United too, then you can have a conversation about next year. Yeah, you commit to him as as the backup and maybe future forward down the line. But you're not going to be able to answer the question if he doesn't play for the two. So there's no point in bringing in Cisneros to come in and take a spot on the first team and then take time away from Conway with the second team. That would right. defeat the purpose. Now, Abby and John are saying the reason why there's a, this question about compliance is because Cisneros would put Atlanta United at 31 players. It, but again, you, you have to understand, and we, we talk about this a lot, you can loan guys temporarily to Atlanta United to as well as you can loan guys permanently to Atlanta United to for the season. In the temporary loans, you can loan guys there and you can move who is being loaned, but they're not on your MLS roster. That's something that, We've talked about plenty over the years. We talked about it with international slots as well, that sometimes you might have to get creative with that in terms of a, a player who would take up an international slot. You have to loan them to the twos if they're going to play with the twos and then have somebody else in the international slot on the first team. But that's where that would be. And we see right now um, Efrain Morales loan to the twos. Uh, Justin Garces loaned to the twos. Those are season long. Eric Centeno was just loaned to the twos on a season long 
Um, I think this is a reason why Noah Cobb didn't sign a homegrown deal today and he signs it for next year is because you don't want to take up another spot that you have to loan back to the twos. I mean, it's just, you don't need to do that yet. Um, Conway has been loaned to the twos regularly. Um, Bryce Washington is another one that you can open up a spot with and loan him to the twos regularly or permanently. Uh, you've done temporary loans with Mikey Ambrose even to the twos to play. And I expect him to play for the twos tonight. He's been training with them this week, according to the videos. So you have more flexibility with that side of things than you think. All of that makes me think that Cisneros is more on a supplemental roster spot. But mm -hmm. trust me. <laughs> This isn't Miami where they don't know the rules. Um, and you <laughs> no. got to remember, too, they hired a person who was overseeing the competition rules for Major right. League Soccer to be a vice president. He's going to know better than anybody. Yeah, so just, they got it. Say, Dimitri will redline anything that doesn't work. Believe yeah. me. I, yeah. I mean, Atlanta United's not going to. They don't need us to figure this out for them. They, <laughs> no. They're good. They got no. it. All right, Christopher Abel asks a question that I, I think I know the answer to, but I'm going to give it to you because I think you can answer it uh, better than I. Okay. He wants to know, why is Atlanta United signing Cobb? It's a fifth-string center back to an MLS deal when he likely won't play a minute in MLS this year. Could he's, they have done something better with the roster spot? But he's not on an MLS roster spot. That That's the point. Um, he's not an MLS player this year. And, and Chris... If that's the mentality, then we probably shouldn't sign anybody out of the academy ever. And that's not what this club will do. And that's not what any club should do, um, to be 100% clear. But also, he's not on an, he's not an MLS player right now. He will not play in MLS this season unless it is on one of those temporary deals that Aiden McFadden was on. Now he's eligible for that by the way. Now he's eligible to play in U.S. Open Cup games. Now he's eligible to play in friendlies. Now he's eligible to play in whatever competition you're in outside of MLS. Now, U.S. Open Cup would be the one. He was not as an academy player, by the way. You couldn't do that because he would have lost his college eligibility. You had to sign him to a pro deal to be able to do that stuff. He's on a pro deal now. He's an MLS player next year, not this year. So, you didn't use a roster spot, and frankly, don't need another center back right now. Right. But let's take it a step further. Um, you know, now Noah Cobb doesn't need to make a decision. Do I go to college? No. You know, now, now it becomes a more straightforward path for Noah Cobb. Maybe there was a chance that there was some outside interest in Noah Cobb. And yeah, I don't know his passport situation, but if, you know, that was, that came up with Ephraim Morales. Remember, mm -hmm. he trained with Manchester United. They liked mm -hmm. him. I think he had a passport to where he could have gone. Um, you sign him, and and you you see what you have. You're not committing again. I mean, he's not on an MLS deal, so you're not worried about roster spots. You're not committing, you know, money you don't have to to make it done to get this done. You're now making it very easy for Noah Cobb to focus on soccer. He's still going to get his education. He's still going to get his his high school education. Don't worry about any of that. He's still going to do all that. But now he's a professional soccer player. And probably has been, honestly, since the decision was made for him to go to Mexico. That was probably where it was, all right, we're almost positive. This is what we're going to do. But let's see how you mix in on an overseas camp and how things go past the test of flying colors. All right. Look, Naw wants to know, how do we feel about tomorrow and <laughs> USA Mexico? Uh, hey, can I ask a question first? Because I feel like I'm a little bit behind. And I'll admit I've had a lot of Hawks games this week and a lot of things going on here at the radio station. Mm -hmm. Has something erupted on U.S. Men's National Team Twitter always over the last couple of days about like watch parties or, or something like that? Oh, Am I missing something here? You are not missing it, but yeah. Um... People have gotten a little riled up about watch parties and such. And who what has, about? Uh, how can I phrase this delicately? Um, you have national team supporters groups and you have club supporters groups. And okay. they don't always mix. Um, okay. Sometimes they do. A lot of people are members of both. Right. But 
you have, I think, new watch parties in Atlanta by Atlanta United supporters groups, and you have the American Outlaws, which is a national team supporters group that has done parties for a long time. And I don't know where uh, signals got crossed and it was an issue, um, but it became an issue Uh, for me personally. The more watch parties, the better. Cooperation is always great. I think, you know, communication is always great. Um, But Atlanta is a pretty big town and there's a lot of different parts of town that can be served by watch parties. If you were having one right next door, that's probably a little disrespectful. But if you're having one in a different part of town, I I think it's going to be fine. Um, I'm hoping that this is something that is very short term and temporary and and blows over. Uh, but yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm seeing on the Twitch pitch a little more. Yeah. Forget Look. I even asked. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Forget <laughs> I even asked. I just was really surprised. Like it, it, it sounded like it got very emotional, but, uh, well, unfortunately pretty much anything related to the U S men's national team, <laughs> uh, gets emotional on the field or off. Um, like I said, Look. there's enough room for everybody. And I right. think there is opportunity everywhere rather than taking away from one another and and i don't think that was the case here at all i don't know whatever backstory was involved which i'm assuming there probably was one as most things that blow up there is we don't know so whatever it is i hope it is done and goes away because all the groups involved do good work to grow the game in the community and it doesn't have to be one or the other 100 percent. okay Good. Now that I'm up to date on that, let's talk about the match. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, Jason. I think there's this misperception that the Azteca is just this unwinnable fortress that uh, the USA can't go in there and get even a result because it's just, oh, it's the Azteca. And, you know, actually, if you look at how the U.S. has played there over the last, I don't know, four or five cycles, They've had a lot of positive moments in the Azteca. Mm. No? I mean, compared to what it was before? Yes. Compared yeah. to what it was before. But they've never won there in a competitive match. Um, they have one win there all time in a friendly. With one of the weirdest winning goals in a friendly by Michael Orozco Fiscal. Uh, they've had a couple of draws there. This is probably the last time this game has meaning like this. Honestly, mm-hmm. with the next World Cup, you got hosting teams. It hasn't been announced, but you would assume that they're both in automatically. And then the World Cup's expanded in qualifying when mm-hmm. the U.S. is in it next time for, for 2030. And you might not even play Mexico in a qualifier, or it might not mean as much because it'll be kind of obvious that the U.S. and Mexico will go through for at least a little while as CONCACAF grows. But, I mean, let's look back. So in World Cup qualifying... You go back to 2017 in June, uh, 1-1 draw. Mm-hmm. One of the few results that Atlanta, uh, that uh, U.S. has gotten there. Um, 2013, it was a scoreless draw. So mm-hmm. a couple of results in a row. 2009 was a loss. Um, in which you led, right? Yeah, you scored first, but you lost. You don't get any bonus points for scoring first. They, they couldn't hold it. Um, 2004. Five on the road was a 2-1 loss. 2001 on the road was a 1-0 loss. 97 was a draw. That was the one where Jeff Agus got sent off early. And John Harks moved to left back. And they they bunkered their lights out and got out of there with a point, which was the first time they'd gotten a point in a qualifier at the Azteca. It's, it's a foreboding place. Mexico hasn't lost there in qualifying many times i think costa rica's got one i think honduras might have one but don't quote me on that that might be it um mexico's not in a good place right now though there are voices in the mexican media who if the u.s wins they want tata martino fired before he leaves the stadium um i don't think that'll happen they're gonna qualify they have two easy games in the last two games they they go to honduras who's the worst team in in the octagon and they host El Salvador on the last day, which they will win. That being said, this is a very tricky game for the U.S. And the reason it's tricky is not just because it's Mexico. 
it's tricky because the Panama game has a bigger impact on the table Mm -hmm. because they're chasing you and that's at home and that's a more likely win. And it's a three game window. And we've seen in these three game windows, how it is very tough for players to play 270 minutes in a week and be at their best. And it's Thursday, it's Sunday, it's Wednesday. And you might have to go to Costa Rica in game three and win. You might have to go there and draw. You might be through. But that looming, for me, I'm not saying you go in and punt, not at all, but I'm, I would be, and I, this doesn't sound like it's going to be the case. All the commentary around it, people who are, are talking to Burhalter, talking to the players, it seems like he's going with his best team. I'm not playing Tyler Adams, who's on a potential yellow card suspension. I would not play him at the Azteca. Um, I would be worried about anybody else that has any kind of a knock, anything like that. And I would want my freshest team for the match against Panama. And then again, if I need to call on them against Costa Rica, I would. But I'm worried about it in that sense. If you don't win this, you can still qualify. There there shouldn't be any panic because the Panama game is the biggest impact. If Canada does you a solid and draws or beats Costa Rica in Costa Rica on Thursday night, then you're in great, great shape. If Costa Rica wins their first two, then that last game could be a little tricky. You might need to draw, or you might need to not lose by four or something going into the last game. But if Canada helps you out and you beat Panama, ultimately you beat Panama, you should be in. If you get a draw in Mexico and you beat Panama, you're probably celebrating Sunday night. Yeah. Well, what did I see? If if the U.S. gets four points they have a 98% chance of qualifying. Did I see that correctly? Yeah, because the the way the table breaks down is you're on 21. Four points would take you to 25. You would probably assume that the four would come in the first two games if we want to play that out. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that means Panama, Panama. Panama couldn't catch you. Yeah, right. Panama. If And that's why the Panama game is so <laughs> important. If you mm-hmm. beat Panama, they can't catch you. Mm-hmm. Then you're looking at Costa Rica, who if they go to if they go nine points in the group in these three games, they can level you on points with four. But then the reason it's 98 percent is the goal difference has to swing and it'll swing a little bit if you have four and they have six because you'll have a draw. They'll have two wins, but it's right now an eight goal difference. So. I don't like ever thinking this way. Here's my rationale to what I'm about to say. I don't want to have to go to Costa Rica and need a result on the last day. I can't shake my head hard enough. I'll give myself a concussion. (laughs) So, like, I get what you're saying about how you've got to look at this as 270 minutes, prioritize where you might have the best chance at winning. Um, If you get a draw tonight, though, it's a great result, is it not? 100%. A a point in, in Mexico tomorrow night is great. Uh, so, yeah, is, is I don't know what I said tonight, tomorrow night, excuse me. So with that in mind, and this is a dodgy strategy, I know this. Yeah, I don't think you have it in you. Do you go in there and you just try to park for 90 minutes? I don't think you have that. I don't think this team has that kind of a team, but I can kind of do that if I pick the team the way that I want. I'm probably looking at... Um, Make the decision on who you want it outside back. I think your outside backs are, you know, you do have to worry about if you have to call on them in a must win in Costa Rica and you don't want them to have to go 270. But Yedlin and Anthony Robinson, Reggie Cannon, George Bello. If you went Bello and Cannon in Mexico, I'm not upset about it. Uh, Zimmerman, I would probably like to play in Mexico. Um, he's the one that I'd probably like to play the whole three games. Um, I think he's been in the best form. Uh, Miles, Aaron Long will get games. I think Aaron Long will play, and and I would be fine with him playing in Mexico, um, or Miles playing there, and and Aaron Long potentially spelling either him or Zimmerman against Panama if you need to, depending on how they come out of the Mexico game. Midfield, I would go with Kellen Acosta. You're really going to miss Weston McKinney here. I would not play Tyler Adams, although everything sounds like he's going to play. He's on yellow card tightrope, so I would not play him. Even he's a smart player. He's not going to be reckless. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. I wouldn't play him. Sounds like he's going to. I'd play Kellen Costa as a six instead. 
I'd play Christian Roldan because he's in outstanding form. Um, you can flip a coin. Do you want Luca De La Torre? Do you want Gianluca Busio? You can go a bunch of different directions with the other central midfielder. I would go with a front three that gives you the opportunity to play direct. And so where you're not bunkering, but you're going to be a little more vertical than maybe this team would be by nature with some other players in it. I'd play Jordan Morris. I'd play Jordan Pifok or Ricardo Pepe. Pifok's in better form, so I would go with him. Um, and I'd play Paul Areola because you know he's going to run himself into the ground for you. Mm-hmm. I would go with that group that would be a hardworking group that can play and can play the Burhalter style, but probably their natural inclination would be to be more vertical and more direct, therefore a little safer. Okay. I want to wrap up on an MLS topic. Let's oh boy. close the loop and go full circle because there are going to be three MLS matches this weekend during the, the break. Yep. Uh, I want you to put yourself on the disciplinary committee for a moment. <laughs> oh, that's a dangerous place to be. No, no, no. Um, that Dax McCarty video falls in, onto your desk. What okay. are you giving him? Um, he got read, he, he was sent off, so he's got the automatic one game. Um, you do anything else? Yes. I, I would I I don't feel great about it, but it was egregious enough that I would. I do, and this is the way I saw it live, and the way he explained it when he he put out a statement. I I didn't think he needed to. People were a little over the top with going at Dax, who's a consummate professional. Mm-hmm. He went in aggressively. He was frustrated, I'm sure, because of the way his team that was playing and has been playing. He went in aggressively, but if you look at how he he approached it. He didn't stomp on the player. He didn't kick the player. He was like back healing and he hit the player. He's trying to knock the ball off the player to get the throw. I, I saw that watching it. And that's what he explained. And I, I don't think he made it up. If he had come in and kicked him or stomped on him, then I think it's multiple games. Like easy, no question. I don't feel bad about it. This one, a little bit of the outcry, a little bit of the situation that even though there wasn't I think a bad intent player was prone and you have to be smarter than that and I think Dax knows that I would add a game and give him a a two-game suspension I wouldn't go more than that okay I want you to stay on the disciplinary committee don't oh man I don't don't feel comfortable about the disciplinary committee okay (laughs) don't resign your seat yet um the Dom Dwyer video falls onto your desk Mm -hmm. what are you doing with that nothing additional okay nothing additional because the way it happens i I think you can see the intent it's late um it has to be a red it was the correct call um but you take the situation what was going on what his actions were before that i don't think he was trying to hurt the guy i don't think he's trying to go at him i think he is late trying to get to the ball trying to make a play because he came on and was trying to make things happen he's reckless it's a red because it studs up on the outside of the knee but nothing more okay fair enough as we know the disciplinary committee spends most of its time evaluating if players leave the pitch on a timely manner um oh he'll probably get fined for that just because he'll probably get fined for that because that i mean look when you talk about you know, doing things to protect players and ensure their safety. The the disco is on it because, you know, if you don't leave the pitch in a timely manner after being sent off, they're going to make an example of you and, and send a, a, a clear example because that really impacts player safety. Um, yes, you know, same with mass confrontation warnings and swarming the referee and all that. Uh, Although I did, think it was, Good. I did think it was rather funny that Charlotte got hit Yep. For swarming the referee before the Joseph penalty, which they I believe did. you you projected what happened. It was it was egregious. Um I, I've I've heard allegedly, and I say that in all caps allegedly, that they're watching Ezekiel Barco footage at River Plate to see ah. if he's simulating things. Yes. To throw yes. fines at him. They're yes. trying to find one. <laughs> yeah, they have a they have a secret <laughs> squirrel who who just has an isolated camera on him all man. Uh, he's he's still and... under an MLS contract. We can find him. Let's do right. it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. all right uh real quick so usa mexico tonight by this time next week or tomorrow excuse me i keep yep. saying tonight tomorrow <laughs> um by this time next week we'll know what's going to happen it, it, it will have a pretty good sense are they going to need something are they going to be in the reclassification 
Are they going to be through and safe? Where do you think they are this time next week? I don't know if they get anything out of Mexico. I think they beat Panama. I think when we talk next week, we will know by that point that Costa Rica has not gone with their max points and they're not on six points coming into that game with the U.S. next Wednesday. So I think the U.S. is either officially qualified or all but qualified. You just can't say it because if Costa Rica wins 5-0, yeah, or 6-0, then yeah. I think that's where you are because I think Canada probably gets a point in Costa Rica on Thursday. I think the U.S. could very easily get a point in Mexico. Um, I'm fascinated to see how Mexico looks in this game because Mm -hmm. they have been a mess and they're going to put so much pressure on themselves about this game. It's either going to spur them to a performance that we haven't seen out of Mexico in a long time, or they're going to crumble emotionally. And, and that could be wild viewing and the the booze and the jeers and all of it. I think, I I think we're good by next Wednesday. I think we're in a good spot. Yeah, I I agree. I think Mexico, I, I do think they rise to the occasion tomorrow. Uh, I, I just think they're due. I think they they're due for that kind of performance. Um, so I think they rise to the occasion tomorrow. I think the, the U S loses tomorrow and it might, it's, there's going to be some panic. Uh, oh, they're I, definitely going to be panic, <laughs> but I think they get the three against Panama and then you're going into Costa Rica feeling pretty good about where you stand. You might maybe need to get a point in Costa Rica, maybe depending on what the Ticos do. Uh, but I I don't think we're going into Costa Rica with the same amount of angst that we were four years ago going no. into Trinidad. It's just not going to feel that way. No, because I, I don't think you're going to need a point necessarily. I think you're going to be in an even better spot because I, I do think Canada gets something out of Costa Rica. Uh, Costa Rica has been pretty good in qualification. I don't think they can beat Canada even without Alfonso Davies. So mm-hmm. I think what it comes down to that last game is either the U.S. is already in or they just can't lose by a large margin. Right. And I think that's what it comes down to. We'll see. Okay. Well, well talk about Open Cup. Oh, I, I thought on Open Cup before we it, go. It is underway. Um, there were six games last night. Where Atlanta United could fall into it in round three, I keep looking at now we know Birmingham will play Southern States SC out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Um, I could see Atlanta drawn with the winner of that. I could see Atlanta drawn with either of the Chattanooga teams if they get into the third round, uh, Chattanooga FC or Chattanooga Red Wolves. Greenville Triumph play Oakland Roots. I could see that possibly. I don't think Charlotte is as likely because, or I don't think uh, Charleston is as likely because of Charlotte, because of mm-hmm. their inclusion now. I think that'll pull one. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It was great to see the tournament back. It's just such a great celebration for all levels of the game in this country. A lot of brand new teams, some teams that are one year old in the Open Cup last night. And I have a new favorite. I have a new favorite. Who's that? Oyster Bay United. <laughs> Oyster Bay, New York. Okay, they're, they're one year old. They went to Hartford and beat Hartford City like a drum in their game, and they had some flair to it as well. I saw a great goal last night. There were a few great goal, and I don't know who scored or what team it was, but they played at Baldwin Wallace. Uh, uh, that was the Cleveland SC and Chicago FC United game. Um, okay. That was a wild one because Cleveland needed a goal in, in stoppage time to send it to extra time. Okay. Great goal. I think it was scored early. Okay, uh, then you probably saw the Chicago goal. I don't remember yeah. that as well. The the equalizer was really good too. There, there was I mean, outside of the villages uh going <laughs> off against the team from Orlando um and Oyster Bay dominating, they were close games. You had a elbow of God on the line. <laughs> Um, that if you had VAR, it would have been called back, and you did a red card and a penalty. Refs missed it. You had uh, two big comebacks. You had uh, FC Motown have a 2-0 lead at halftime and lose 3-2 after extra time. It was a lot of fun. There's a whole bunch of games tonight on ESPN Plus and the YouTube uh, channel for U.S. Soccer. Alongside Atlanta United 2, pull up some Open Cup and bounce around and learn about some of these new teams. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I love the tournament. I know you do too. Yeah. I, I, I have been led to believe Atlanta United will be on the road 
for their first Open Cup match. I, I don't know if that's official, but I've been led to believe it's likely they will be on the road. So it'd be a lot of fun going back to Birmingham in that stadium. I'd love if we got to go to Greenville. I'd love what if, if we have got to go out to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I hope we're flying because that's a long drive. <laughs> I don't even know if we can do it on the radio yet. Uh, we, we working on ask. it. We're working on it. We don't even know. but uh, Working on anyhow, it. We do know we'll be back 2 o'clock next Wednesday. We'll look ahead to the D.C. match. We'll review where the national team is, and we'll kind of jump back in MLS mode. Uh, enjoy the weekend off. And as Jason said, the twos tonight and Sunday night at the Fraction. Action at the Fraction. The weather should be great. For both matches. So uh, that'll be a good way to get your uh, Atlanta United fill this weekend. You're probably going to see some first team players at least tonight, uh, if not on Sunday, just to kind of keep everyone fit and fresh. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Uh, you can watch Atlanta United too, both of those in person at Fifth Third Bank, or you can watch on ESPN Plus. And then we'll be back next Wednesday. Have a good week. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 